In art and in life, we seldom mention comedy without tragedy, laughter without tears, joy without sorrow. And though the passing of those we hold dear brings us pain, it's only fitting to remember their gifts with happiness. Let us all reflect on the lives and careers of some artists we've lost, artists who gave enthusiasm to their craft and instilled awareness and delight in their audiences. Would you like to buy a market? This is It Happened One Year, a look back at the events, big and small, themed and forgotten from... Hey, everybody. Hello. We're doing it again. Here we are. It happened one year, 1994. Yes. yes. Just but just prior to this uh, starting, I was just saying this is probably our second to last episode of this season. We're riding high. We're feeling good. Can you believe it? Big energy. There was at least me? a chance, right, that we were always going to do 1994, that we were never going to end this season. <laughs> There weren't even seasons. Like, there was no plan. We yeah. were just going to keep doing it. Yeah. No, we're going to wrap this up. Yeah. It's time Time to move on. Yeah. So the big finale, we've got big plans for the finale. So I'm excited to get to that. Uh, but first, we, like anything else, you got to wrap up by uh, by looking back. You got to. Yeah. You can't go forward without looking back. <laughs> That's very profound. Uh, um, the future is only dictated by the past. <laughs> Very good. Are you excited? Are you? How do you feel? Do you feel? Do you feel like we've accomplished everything we wanted to accomplish? Is there? There's nothing left to talk about. 1994 was. I mean, I can't really say I I knew what we were trying to accomplish when we started. So <laughs> yes, I think we've succeeded in whatever it was we were going to try and do. But we've been recording these for almost a year. I realized the other day we started recording these what in February or March of last year. It's great. That's crazy to me. I think the first episode came out in early April, right? So we started recording. Yeah, like just about a year ago is the beginning of March, I want to say. And this is sort of how we're going to treat whatever the plan for season two turns into is that we're going to take a break where we're still going to put stuff out. We have a bunch of other random nonsense we're going to roll out. So. Random nonsense. Get excited. Yeah. Oh, I I'm sure the people are waiting. I'm sure the people are excited. If the numbers yeah. are to be believed, we are now the most popular podcast recorded in our building. <laughs> <laughs> so we got that going for us. <laughs> But yeah, we've got a real upper of an episode today in memoriam 1994. I don't know if people would be excited or not, but again, for a little backstory, I've been running a death pool since, well, one version or another since 2006. Yep. So I've, I've been putting in a lot of time with celebrity obituaries. And so I, I feel like I don't feel a sadness about these sort of things. This, I feel, is a very positive, you know, it's a good to look back and, you know, yeah. this and that. But, you know, I wasn't doing a death pool in 1994 when I was 14. Mom and dad wouldn't have been cool no. with that. No, uh, but it's a shame because there was a lot to talk about. Now, we've already talked about some people who died in 94. What were what were some of the in-memoriams we've already done? Yeah, so we talked about Dinah Shore. The great Dinah Shore. Dinah Forever. Yep. We talked about, oh... Uh, a guy? Oh, who was it? <laughs> oh, It's always fun when we just try to get you to remember things. <laughs> One of the highlights of the show. <laughs> Remembering things in general is not my strength. We talked about a guy. Tell he was a guy. 
Telly Savalas. Yeah. I was, was that, getting there. That, was that the only other one, though? I think so. Because then we also were partnering them a lot of times with birth episodes. We have a lot to get through. And yeah. I don't want this to turn into that episode like of the plague where we talked for an hour and a half and yeah. everyone ended up crying. Yeah. We got a lot of we, we got a lot of complaints. <laughs> there were <laughs> a lot of DMs today. that were not, I mean, not amused. I'm still broken up about the fact that Joseph Cotton died in 1994. And so that's where we begin. Where we begin. We're our um, jumping off point. So we're doing this in a back and forth way. So Sarah looked yep. up some people and I looked up some people, but we're going to, you know, I think bring some new information to each other, but I think some things would be like, oh, that person, oh, that's great. Or this is the first person to do this, or that's fun. So hopefully we all come away from, from this experience having learned something. I, I do want to highlight also before we get started that the list of people that we're going to cover, if you know Joe, makes a lot of sense. If you don't know Joe, then you're going to be like, why are you talking about these people? But as we were going through prep and I would be like, oh, my God, you've assigned me this person. I've never heard of them. I have to look up everything that they're in. Joe's like, oh, that person, they were in this, this and this. And it was great. And I had no idea who they are. So um, that's also the tone we're going to set for the in memoriam. We're being very broad and open and inclusive about our in memoriam. And I would also say, though, we are being very selective. If I've learned anything <laughs> from doing the death pool all these years, it's that we've had in recent years, 130 to 140 people die a year in the pool. And that's yeah. a lot of people. I mean, this is a ton of, and we're only covering 30 people. So, I mean, to take the top 30 out of a people who die in a year when there's easily hundreds of significant people who die every year, uh, I feel like I have shown great restraint. <laughs> <laughs> so so we're being both broad and inclusive and very selective exactly. just so you know listeners <laughs> and yet that selective group includes mildred natwick who we'll get to in a minute yes but first so we're starting we're doing this by category and we're starting with uh actors we wanted to jump out of the gate with with people you know famous folks but again people who died in 1994 and we're going to also do them in sort of a chronological order so february 6th the world lost the great Joseph Cotton. You're telling me you don't know who Joseph Cotton is? I've never heard of him. You, seriously? Completely seriously, I've never heard of Joseph Cotton. All right. I mean, Joseph Cotton was a huge movie star. Bullshit. He, okay. He wasn't <laughs> Clark Gable. Like, he wasn't that level of a movie star. But he was still, I would say, a very significant movie star. I, I don't know if he ever was nominated for an Oscar or anything like that. He didn't really have those kind of roles, but... Uh, his most famous parts, almost definitely, were in Orson Welles movies. He was uh, with the Mercury Theater, and I mean, he's in Citizen Kane, which right away you're like, well, you know, this is something people should know. But he also was basically the lead of the Magnificent Ambersons, which Welles isn't in, so that was, you know, propped that up. He was in Journey into Fear, another Welles movie. But he was also in Gaslight. Uh, he was in the Hitchcock movie Shadow of a Doubt. And then him and Wells co-starred in The Third Man. Now, you've seen a bunch of these movies. <laughs> I've seen Citizen Kane. We saw The Third Man in theaters at one point. We saw Journey into Fear in theaters. Definitely remember both of those movies. <laughs> I enough. probably could have said, like, I might have seen The Third Man. I have never heard of Journey into Fear. I, I don't believe you that we saw that. That's fair. There, It's not a famous title. I'll give you that. But yeah. it, uh, I think you would remember it. You remember the third man, right? Like yeah. it's in Vienna with all this and all the all the yeah. zither music. You remember that? I, yeah, I do remember that. But he's Joseph Cotton is essentially the star of that movie, and then oh. Orson Welles turns up halfway through the movie. Oh. Anyway, I don't want to get too bogged down in this. Joseph Cotton was a huge movie star, and 
uh, I think sort of beloved in weird little circles, even though he wasn't, again, he wasn't Cary Grant, like he wasn't that sort of star, but, but he was still easily significant enough to make this truncated list of the top 30 people to die in a year, any year he would have died. I also am covering two people who died on February 11th of that year, died on the exact same day. And that Sorrel Book, who was, of course, famous for playing Boss Hog on the Dukes of Hazard. Mm-hmm. Did you watch a lot of Dukes of Hazard when you were a kid? None. None. Uh, he was the bad guy, and he was kind of, he was like a, a Southern, you know, Did sheriff. Did he look like um, Colonel Sanders in the show? A little bit. He wore like a white suit, and he was kind yeah. of, you yeah. know. He's the famous character character from that show. Like, Bo and mm-hmm. Luke Duke are famous, but he's, you know, memorable yep. because he was so goofy and he was the bad guy. He also, yep. he had a long career, but this is what he's mostly known for. And he died the same day as William Conrad, who was also a big TV actor. He was canon in the 70s, and he was on Jake and the Fat Man playing the Fat Man. So oh. a, a, a wonderful casting job, and I'm sure he felt great about it uh, in the 80s. And that's, though uh, <laughs> they died on the exact same day. Do you think he had to like introduce himself to people being like, yes, I am the fat man. Right. <laughs> I assume people came up to him and be like, oh, it's the fat man. I love you on that show. And he's just like, oh, Ugh, just leave. Me- it's gross. Just leave me alone. <laughs> you know, People criticized uh, crazy ex-girlfriend for having a crazy title. Like, and it was like, oh, there's no good parts for women. Look at this crazy. You know, his, this show was called Jake and the fat man. And he played the fat man. <laughs> Come on. Uh, well, I'm going to transition to someone who I don't think was much of a fat man, but who did die on May 8th, 1994, and that is George Papard, who was an actor. Banachek. What? He was on a show called Banachek, and he played Never Banachek. heard of it. That, that's not on my list. Didn't you so, read up on George Papard? I did. Oh. I have what I think he's no, most known for. Uh, he played a part of some kind in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, sure. Pretty pretty big famous movie. He played uh, Colonel John Hannibal Smith in the A-Team show, uh, a role that was then reprised by Liam Neeson in the movie, so that those of you who maybe didn't watch the original A-Team uh, may know him as the Liam Neeson of the A-Team. It's true. And those are all the acting credits I'm going to give. Oh. Sorry, George. Um, but here, I did think this was a funny story. He was fired from Dynasty. He was in the pilot of Dynasty oh. and was fired because he was so difficult to work with. John Forsythe replaced him. They re-recorded all of his parts and he got kicked out. So uh, bad news, Papard. Not apparently a, a fun guy on the set. Well, I guess if he had done Dynasty, he probably wouldn't have been able to do the A-Team. That was around the same time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the A-Team was like right after right after this happened. Oh. Um, but then right before he died, he filmed an episode of the show that Joe and I have really embraced through this uh, podcast, which is Matlock. He did nice. an episode of Matlock that was supposed to be a pivot into a new series, but the Matlock episode that he was on aired eight days after he died. So. Oh. That didn't work out so well. So a backdoor um, pilot that completely failed. Did not. Did not work. Okay. He was married five times. George, Ooh. George Papard. He's buried in Dearborn, Michigan. Oh. Which we uh, totally have the opportunity to go see. We could do um, that. And I, when I heard his name, I always thought he was on Star Trek because it sounds like Picard. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> and it wasn't when I got him on this list, I was like, oh, wasn't he on Star Trek? And then I was like, oh, not even close. Nope. Interesting. So uh, Picard died on May 8th. And then uh, on June 4th, at the age of 41, Massimo Troisi died. Mm. And you may be like, why are you guys talking about him? He was a- an Italian actor. Literally, his Wikipedia page called him the most 
impressive actor in the Italian cinema. I didn't finish that word. So important, important. It was important. Oh. <laughs> I just wrote most, most IMP actor. <laughs> I couldn't remember what it meant. It was the most important actor in Italian cinema. That was what Wikipedia thinks of him. Oh. Um, he was in a bunch of stuff in Italian, but he was in Il Postino, The Postman, which was nominated for Oscars, and he died before the Oscars happened. So he was posthumously nominated for Oscars. Il Postino was like an odd story because of that, you know? So that's why I don't think otherwise, I don't know, I don't want to go so far as to say like if he hadn't died, this wouldn't have gotten nominated. But Il Postino is the only Best Picture nominee going backwards that I haven't seen into the 80s. It's just, I can't find a copy of it, so I haven't seen it. So I don't actually know how good it is, but it became this famous movie because he died, essentially, and it was sort of this beloved little comedy, but I have no idea if the movie's any good or not. All right, and then on July 8th, 1994... Your friend and mine, Dick Sargent, died. Uh, Dick Sargent, who we all know as Darren Number 2 in Bewitched, very unfortunately born as Richard Stanford Cox. So his parents literally named him Dick Cox. Oh, my God. I don't don't blame him for changing his name. Terrible. I thought we were trying to do a classy show here, Boots. I'm just telling you his name. I I mean, that's what it is. It's not your fault. Dick Cox. Yeah. Yeah. I'm blaming Um, Mr. and Mrs. Cox. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you can call him Rich Cox if you want. Either way, like, not great. That does sound more appealing, but, you know. <laughs> okay, so he was also, before he was Darren, he was like a real actor. He oh. was on uh, Operation Petticoat, and that's the only thing I wrote down, but he was in lots of stuff. Uh, very prolific as an actor. But then, of course, again, we all know him as Darren the Deuce. Um, he... <laughs> He came out he came out of the closet in 1991. I don't think we say came out of the closet, but he came out and I just wanted to be clear what I meant by that. Oh, fair. Um yeah. in 1991 and kind of became an activist very very late in his life. He said he came out because of the high rate of of suicides among young uh young gay people, which is a lovely uh, sentiment. Yeah. Um and then he died in 1991 and because of that a lot of people think he died of AIDS, but he didn't. He died of cancer. Well, to transition from you know your Italian film actors and your your big TV stars, I you know I don't know at this point if you if you could say Peter Cushing was known for other things like he had a long career of doing tons and tons of stuff. Lived until 1994. He was a horror film staple. Made a bunch of Hammer movies, but he was Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars, and that's I oh. believe what everyone remembers him for. Like I don't even know that. I think anybody, unless you were a real horror fan of Hammer stuff in the 60s, I, I, I can't believe anybody wouldn't mention that first. I think his second most famous performance is probably that cartoon version of him in Rogue One. <laughs> like, I still, <laughs> I, that's probably just it. So, most of my life, I only knew Peter Cushing from Star Wars. And, you know, I, even though I've seen him in other stuff, uh, that's, that is his, his all-time legacy, for, easily. So... He died August 11th, 1994. And then a month later, never forget, 9-11, <laughs> Jessica Tandy died in 1994. So Jessica Tandy, also very famous for what she did at the end of her life. She, she yeah. won an Oscar when she was 80 uh, in Driving Miss Daisy. And she had been in stuff. This wasn't like she came out of nowhere and won an Oscar at 80. She had a long career. But... I think everyone to a person would say they know Jessica Tandy from Driving Miss Daisy, which is a weird thing, right? Like at the end of your life, at the end of your career, you know, like to do something like that. I mean, don't you have to be really mad if something hits when you're 80? 
Like yeah. you can enjoy that. Yeah, she had she literally had five years, and then she died, and that was it. Uh, to come back to the death pool, what I think is fun is in one of the early, early death pool drafts, we we were drafting in a very scattershot way. Now we have a list and we pick from this list, but you can draft off of the list. But in one of the early, early drafts, somebody drafted Jessica Tandy. Again, we started in 2006. And somebody <laughs> just, I guess, pulled it out of their ass and was like, yeah, Jessica Tandy. So for years, I referred to it as the Jessica Tandy rule, where yeah. if you drafted somebody who was dead, you couldn't then replace them. We have a, a mistake system, but the Jessica Tandy rule applied to this situation because she had been dead for at least 12 years yeah. when this happened. And this has happened in other times. Yeah. I, I believe, I think Cosmala once tried to draft Henry David Thoreau. <laughs> Or Ralph Waldo Emerson, like it was somebody who'd been dead for a century, and I'd be like, "Did you just yeah. pulling names out of the air?" So yeah, I mean that that feels like it was on purpose or as a joke or I don't know something. Yeah. But my favorite instance of this is, of course, when Sam drafted Nat King Cole. Yeah. yeah. And we were and all like, "What are you doing?" I believe in later years it was more or less referred to then as the Nat King Cole yeah, rule. That was the best because that was a great moment. And then uh, another huge movie star, uh, October twentieth, nineteen ninety four, Burt Lancaster died who I think you could make an argument is probably the most famous actor in this group to die in 94. He's he's a headline person uh, in the in memoriam. He might have been the final person at the Oscars that year, like in the in the, you know, cycling through all the names. Yeah, because I mean, uh, he, was, he was an Oscar winner. The AFI listed him as the 19th uh, biggest movie star of all time or something when they made that bizarre list. What, I'm what, not sure. I'm not sure I've ever seen a Burt Lancaster film. Oh, my God. <laughs> So I, oh, I, I, I mean, couldn't I tell you pick him sure. out of the lineup. I can tell you for sure, Burt Lancaster was in Field of Dreams, and you saw we saw Field of Dreams oh. at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, he's the old guy, the old doctor. Sure, yeah. sure he is. But he, I mean, again, he acted until he was an old man. But yeah, uh, he won an Oscar for Elmer Gantry. He also appeared in uh, just a, a ton of huge movies. Uh, he was in the gunfight at the OK Corral, which at least I know is something you know the title of. <laughs> he was in Judgment at Nuremberg and Seven Days in May and The Birdman of Alcatraz. And he was just in a ton of things. All right. Well, four days later, uh, I'm going to say that the person who I actually think is the most famous on this list died. Oh. Oh. It, it is the only person from 1994, uh, only person of the actors from 1994 that I actually remember when they died. I Like, I remember this happening. Oh. Uh, and that is Raul Julia. And I think it's because I had just seen the Adam family. Yeah, it's, I mean, he uh, was a very active person in the 90s. Yeah. So, yes, he was a Puerto Rican actor who did a lot of, like, Broadway and theater and Shakespeare and, like, real acting. Of course, he's known for playing Gomez Adams, which... <laughs> is different from Macbeth, I guess, but you know, it's what he did. Um, he was also in the Street Fighter movies or movie, yeah. maybe just one. I'm not sure how many, but he was in that. And one of the later movies was dedicated to him. Um, died in 1994. I was reading a description on Wikipedia of his state funeral in Puerto Rico. And it sounds like, like the biggest production of all time. There were a million people there. There's songs and speeches and like, it was held in like a, a huge venue. Yeah, I mean, Raul Julia 
was, I think, in a lot of stuff. I mean, even though he didn't live to a super old age, like, I remember him in a bunch of things in the 80s, like Kiss of the yep. Spider Woman and Tequila Sunrise, and, like, he, he did a lot of things. Yeah. But he didn't, I don't know if he starred in a lot of stuff. I mean, he's kind of the star of Kiss of the Spider Woman, but William Hurt won the Oscar for it, so I think that became his movie in a lot of ways. But, sure. But, yeah, I mean, weirdly, The Addams Family becomes his legacy, which, I mean, The Addams Family movies are fun, but... Yeah. You know, it still does feel like he was a much more of an actor than he's probably remembered for. Yes. But Gomez is great. And, Gomez is great. Yeah. Uh, They're good movies. Okay. And then the next day, the day after Raul Julia dies, Mildred Natwick dies. Can you believe it? The great Two Mildred days. Natwick. Back to back. Unbelievable. Um, she was 89 when she died. So our, our friend had been around for a while and she was in uh, lots of movies. I'm going to name some. What's and your Joe's what's your favorite you if... Mildred Natwick film? Well, um, I had never heard of her before this, oh. and I think I've seen one of these oh. that I'm about to name, which are the movies she's most known for. She was in a movie in 1951 called The Trouble with Harry. Damn it, Harry. The Trouble with Harry is a a pretty solid uh, Hitchcock movie. It's kind of a comedy, but it's a it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. She was in it. Um, she was also in The Quiet Man, which I think is the one that I've seen. Have I seen that? I've I think seen you've that, seen right? The Quiet Man, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Because yep. that's the one set in Ireland, right? Right, right. Yeah, I've seen The Quiet Man. So I've seen, uh, again, I've seen The Quiet Man, I, I have no idea, a hundred times. I've seen The Quiet Man my whole life. So Mildred Network to me is like a movie Quiet star. Man like a hundred times. Oh my God. My dad watched The Quiet Man all of the Oh, time. that makes more sense. So I've seen The Quiet Man a ton of times. Yeah. So you were just sitting around watching The Quiet Man like every day. But no, like I literally... That's like a movie that's lived with me for so long that I think of everyone in that movie as a huge movie star, even though I don't know if that's true. Yeah. Like, yeah, here's John Wayne and there's Maureen O'Hara, but like, I think Victor McLaughlin is a household name and I don't know if that's true. Yes. You know, but then Mildred Natwick, Ward Bond is in it. uh, Barry Fitzgerald. Like the cast is incredible. And I think of all of them as huge stars. I have no idea if that's accurate. It's funny how you get that um, with movies that you watch a lot of as a kid. I feel the same way about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Because it was the one movie you had. It's the one movie we had. How many times would you estimate you've seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, God. 150 times. <laughs> I have no idea. It's the only movie we had. Uh, okay. Well, she was also in something called Dangerous Liaisons in 1988. You've never seen Dangerous Liaisons? I don't think so. That's a, another classic Michelle Pfeiffer joint. Oh, if you're good. fans of the show, you know, we, we just talked about Wolf not that long ago. Yep. And uh, we're big proponents of the Michelle Pfeiffer uh, film canon. We, we are. Yeah, we're, we're oh, that's her and Malkovich, Glenn Close, but no cigars in it. <laughs> okay, I'll watch it. Yeah, uh, and then she was in something called Barefoot in the Park, which sounds nice. So Barefoot, I wrote it down. Barefoot in the Park was a Neil Simon play, and yeah. they turned it into. A movie. I think she was nominated for an Oscar for that movie. I think that's that's Mildred Natwick's Academy Award connection. Uh, and to move on to more people who died in 1994, the last of our actors, also who I had never heard of before tonight. Uh, Woody Strode, who is a real person. The great Woody on, Strode. Great Woody Strode apparently died on New Year's Eve, 1994. What's uh, your What's your favorite Woody Strode film? I legitimately don't think I've seen any of these. I think you saw Spart. We've seen Spartacus. Have we? I think we saw Spartacus in theaters, didn't we? Like in like one of those revivals. Wait, no, that was Ben Hur. I don't think we saw Spartacus. I'm, I mean, again, I've seen Spartacus. I'm pretty sure we saw it in theaters. But he plays a gladiator. Woody Strode was a football player, so he was a big sure. dude. Let me go through a little bit of his life because he did have a pretty interesting life. He played yeah. football at UCLA. 
And then he played in the Pacific Coast Pro Professional Football League for like the Hollywood Bears. And then he was drafted into the army and went off to World War II. And so he fought in the Pacific for a while. He came back. He played some more football. He was a wrestler for a hot minute. And then he was like, you know what? Acting. Nice. And so he was he was in a lot of movies. I'm going to name the ones that that uh, IMDb thinks he's most famous for, <laughs> um, which are Spartacus, the man who shot Liberty Valance, which you mentioned when we talked about Woody Strode uh, earlier, a movie called The Professionals, which sounds professional good and he played a slave in the 10 commandments which i think i have actually seen we've i've seen the 10 commandments yeah i don't remember him in the 10 commandments but i don't think it was so long that you know yeah he he only he played a slave he wasn't like a a major part but he was in the movie because that's a couple years before spartacus and like spartacus i think was his first like big thing spartacus is 60 and 10 commandments is 56 but similar honestly to the quiet man uh, i've seen the man who shot liberty valance dozens of times because my dad always watched it when i was a kid like i don't know so i've seen it a million times so it's the same thing where i think of those people as all huge movie stars and even though he's not a huge part in that movie he's very like no he's a black guy in a western like it's a very noticeable thing at the time and his part's great he's great in that movie so i mean he made approximately a gajillion movies so he was in a ton of stuff yeah um but my favorite thing that i want to share about woody strode well i have a few fun facts about woody strode he was it seems like an interesting guy he married Princess Lucia Luana Kalealoa, who was a distant relative of the first queen of Hawaii. Wow. Yeah. He, they were married until about 1980 when she died. And then at the age of 68, he married a 35-year-old. Nice. I don't even know her name. I was just impressed. <laughs> they, they named the Toy Woody in Toy Story after him. Wow. That's, that's who he's named after. But my favorite part of everything I learned about Woody Strode is his his actual name, his given name. Are you ready? Let's have it. It is Woodrow Wilson Woolwine Strode. It's a true story. Woolwine. Woolwine. Woodrow Wilson, like the president. Woolwine yeah. Strode. WWW Strode is the that's man's true. name. Wow. So if he was an author, that's outstanding. That great. Yeah. I uh, I didn't even mention earlier, but Joseph Cotton's middle name is Cheshire, like the cat. That's nice. I ran across that and just didn't even bother to mention it. That's nice. That's Wonderful. Nice. I like Woody Strode uh, to wrap up the film. I mean, it works because uh, chronologically he died last, but yep. also because he's an athlete, we're going to jump right into the very small group of very significant athletes who died in 94. I tried to find more people because I thought there's got to be a lot of athletes, but I could only find a couple. And two of them are boxers, so it's not even that that much of, you know, from the broad spectrum of things. But first up, you had former heavyweight champion Jersey Joe Walcott, who died on February 25th. He uh, was the champion in the 50s. Very briefly, he was champion. He was around a long time. He fought through the 40s. Uh, he was a heavyweight, and he had a series of fights with Ezard Charles, in 51 and 52 and he uh lost the first one and then beat him twice so he got the title in 51. i believe at the time he was the oldest person to have the heavyweight title which was a record that stood all the way until 1994 when george foreman won if you'll remember Ah. back to our michael moore michael moore michael morris episode 
So for longtime so, fans of the show, we're back to that event. <laughs> so 94 was a terrible year for that guy. Yeah, yeah. He lost his record and he died. So Jersey yeah. Joe Walcott had a tough, a tough 94. Hard times. But yeah, he was only champion for a little over a year. He he beat Ezard Charles in their second fight in uh, July of 51. He fought him again the following June. And then he ran into the buzzsaw that was Rocky Marciano in 1952 and lost. Fought Marciano again in 53 and lost. And then that was it. Jersey Joe got out of the game because he was like 37 at that point. So, you know, and again, like now it seems like fighters last somewhat longer. Like George Foreman again won the title when he was like 45. So like he broke the record by a mile. But back then, fighting at 37, you were basically fighting at 60. Like, that was just ridiculous. And then, you know, Rocky Marciano was a monster. So that did not work out. No. Then, to continue down the list of athletes, we have another boxer. August 17th, former heavyweight champion Jack Sharkey died. Now, Sharkey fought much earlier. He was a heavyweight champion in the 30s. But this is mostly because he was at a normal age. He wasn't fighting at 37. (laughs) So that's part of that. But... Uh, he had been around for a while. Uh, he had a pretty good record. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't an up-and-comer by the time he finally wins the title, but he was only been fighting for a couple years. But he beat uh, Primo Carnera, who was an Italian fighter, and that was how he got the title. It was October 12th, 1931, and that was, like, to get... So there's a bunch of different belts, but this was to get his... Like, he had a little piece of a title, and then... To become the linear champion, he beat Max Schmeling in 1932, and that was like a big deal because Schmeling was a, a big time fighter at this point. And uh, Joe Lewis is around this same era, so that was sort of the famous thing was Joe Lewis fighting Max Schmeling. His name is Max Schmeling. Yeah, he was a German fighter, uh, Maximilian Adolf Otto Siegfried Schmeling. That's a fantastic name. That's, That's really a good. Wonderful name. And really this name. was this was a big deal like cuz he fights Joe Lewis and it, that's a huge fight the in history sure. is the Schmeling Lewis fight. I giggle a little bit every time you say his name. It is pretty silly. But then uh yeah, Jack Sharkey this was already sort of towards the end of his career. He'd only fought a couple more years. He loses to Primo Carnera in 33 and that's the last time he has the championship. Also, then in 33, he fights one of the great all-time Chicago-born boxers, Kingfish Levinsky, uh, fought him at Comiskey, and lost. <laughs> I feel like, one, you every time we talk about this, you make up the system of belts, because there's no way any like actual governing body would put together a system of winners and belts like like boxing. It's the dumbest. Like If you could have part of a title and period, like, no, it's terrible. And two, I feel like you're making up everybody's names. <laughs> Everybody had either ridiculous nicknames or were just silly names back then. That was, yeah. I think, all there was to it. Now, back then, there's not the same problem with belts that you have later. Later, there's like all of these governing bodies. Back then, there is still kind of like one champion in a lot of ways. It's just that there was also this other half-assed belt that was an ABA heavyweight title. And I honestly don't even know what that refers to. Like, that's not something that continues on. The ABA is the American Basketball Association, as far as I'm concerned. So I don't know what the hell that belt is. But Sharkey had that title. Then he won the linear title uh, from Schmeling. And then I... he loses it all to Primo Carnero. But yeah, so Jack Sharkey, it only went another couple of years. Honestly, like part of his career is kind of confusing at the end because he fought somebody in 1935, which I can't believe this is actually the person's name, but there's no other information about it. He beat a man 
named Unknown Winston. <laughs> and I assume it's like there's a poster somewhere of Sharky versus Winston, and no one knows who that guy was. But he beat Unknown Winston. <laughs> Uh, and that was his second to last victory. Uh, his last fight was in 36. He fought Joe Lewis at Yankee Stadium and he lost. Wrapped up 38, 14, and three. That was Jack Sharkey's career. I don't know that Sharkey is somebody who lives in the memory of boxing fans or really athletes at all. I mean, again, it was so long ago and yeah. he was, ret- he was, he lived for another 60 years. Like, I mean, good for him to like be a boxer and then live for that long. Cause I, yeah, I, I, amazing. No lie. I want to say Max Schmeling might have lived to be. Am I having this right? I think Max Schmeling lived to be almost 100. Damn. He lived to be 99. That's true. He died right before the pool started. Like, I remember, like, that was, at that point, I was already paying attention. He died in 2005. He was born in 1905. That's bonkers. Yeah. No, Sharky had a long run. Now, the last athlete I would mention, who I I think is somebody who people know is Wilma Rudolph. But you have no idea who Wilma Rudolph is. Never heard of her. So she was an Olympian in the 50s and 60s. And... She was a runner. She was a track star, uh, but she was like a huge star. She won three gold medals at the at the Rome Games in 60, and she was the first American woman to win three gold medals at one Olympics. Oh, nice. But uh, she was black, and she became a huge like icon in, in that era. So like it was like she became this huge TV star, mainly because Rome all of a sudden is a TV Olympics, and so she was very recognized and known, you know? And that was the same Olympics that gave us basically Cassius Clay. Uh, he that was where he was in Rome. Uh, Oscar Robertson played for the basketball team in that Olympics. So like there, this was a, a big TV Olympics compared to yeah. all of the other. Olymp- I mean, before I don't know if there was regular TV coverage of Olympics before that, but this one was such a big landmark one. But she also competed at the uh, the fifty six games in Melbourne, and she won uh, bronze in a relay. But when she's running then in 60, she won like the 100 meter and the 200 meter in the relay. So Wilma Rudolph was a big deal. And she then used her like celebrity to, she was an activist and she like taught and things like she, she did a lot. Uh, and then, and died relatively young. She was only, she was only 54 when she died. So it was, uh, you know, it was sad, but she, but she was like a huge star in her time. I feel bad that I didn't know more about her. I think she's been on postage stamps and everything. Ah. Which is the sign of fame, I think, in America. Ah. Speaking of people who are famous in America, also died in 1994, Jackie Kennedy. Have you heard of her? Uh, Jacqueline Kennedy, yes. Yes. Um, I'm pivoting into my politics group. In May of 1994, Jackie Kennedy uh, dies. And honestly, I don't have much to say about Jackie Kennedy. Y'all know her. You've heard of her. She's real famous. Uh, She's married to Jack Kennedy. The one thing that I I do want to say about Jackie Kennedy is I was reading an article not that long ago as we were talking about covering Jackie Kennedy on on a podcast. And I believe what I said to Joe is, I don't know what to say about Jackie Kennedy that people don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't have anything new to say about her, but I was reading an article about this, her companion at the end of her life. She had a like significant other that like, she would just walk around New York city with this was after obviously Jack had died. And after um, Onassis had died, he was like a dentist. I don't know. He was like a regular <laughs> professional dude. He was like an accountant or something. She just hung out with just, a dentist. And, and they were just buds and they would like sit in central park and you'd be like, Oh, Hey, there's Jackie Kennedy just sitting in central park, hanging out. <laughs> and like when she died, he was like, it was like the kids and him and they were there and they, and no one really knew that much about him. And I think that was, I just think that's an interesting story. So that's yeah, sort of Jackie Kennedy, 1994. And also Richard Nixon died in 1994. And obviously their lives very intertwined. 
over the course of politics. I, I think you all have probably also heard of Richard Nixon. Uh, he was president of the United States <laughs> before that. He was uh, he was in Congress. He was a senator. He was vice president under Eisenhower. And then he was beaten by Kennedy in the 1960 uh, presidential race and ultimately was elected president twice, but was, you know, was impeached and resigned over uh, some scandals. Interesting psychological specimen. Richard Nixon died in 1994. I just, I, I think like interviews with him later in his life where he talks about Watergate and his experience. And it's just, I just think it's so fascinating the like psychological jumps that he had to make in order to just like be okay with himself. It's just, it's crazy. So, for the longest time, we were going to do an episode that was just Kennedy Nixon, and it was going to be yeah. Jackie Kennedy and Richard Nixon. But to Sarah's point, it was the idea that what is there really to say? Like, they're so famous, and they're, it's such a big thing. I just yeah. think it's interesting that they died within a month of each other, and their lives are so intertwined in so many ways. Yeah. But, you know, I, I've never been somebody who had a lot of, like, romanticizing about the Camelot White House, even though this was kind of like this big transitional thing in America, it seemed like coming out of the fifties and all of that into the Kennedy white house of, you know, 60 to 63 and just how Jackie Kennedy was this big figure for, for being, you know, the first lady, which up until that point, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt did a lot, but it's not like as first lady, she was some sort of media star. It wasn't the same in the thirties and forties, you know, all of a sudden Jackie Kennedy is this huge star in this way. And then sort of transforms that, position yeah and then i mean nixon uh, is such a such a covered figure and is such a a scrutinized figure and under a microscope and dissected for the last 50 years yeah it is a little hard to really i think do anything new with nixon even though people keep trying and like (laughs) movies and documentaries and you know in my lifetime there have been so many major movies about nixon between the oliver stone movie and then frost nixon there yeah. was that weird, remember there was that weird uh, movie about uh, Nick, when Nixon met Elvis? I think it was just yeah. called, what was it called? Nixon and Elvis or something, wasn't something it? Something like that, yeah. With uh, Kevin Spacey and Michael Shannon. Yeah, um, I think that's right. Yeah. There's Dick, the movie with yep. the, when, with uh, Nick Tortelli playing Nixon. Like, he's yeah. just this covered figure. But the only other thing to say was, like, I, I remember at the end of the century, at the end of the 20th century, like Time Magazine or something did a like a list of the people of the century and like most significant as far as like changing everyday life. And yeah. I want to say like Einstein might've been the top person or somebody like that. Cause it was like nuclear age stuff. But yeah. now if you go back and look at the 20th century, I mean, I think really the first half of the century it's Hitler because world yeah. war two changed so much and it's so much about Hitler. Yep. And the second half is Nixon because nothing in America has really been the same since Nixon. The, yeah. the way he changed the presidency and what he did to the, the Republican Party and essentially to the mindset of everything after that. Yeah, yeah. That you still have apologists for Nixon, even though at the time he was hated, like yeah. roundly hated, you know? Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is just remarkable to me. So I, I do think Nixon's a, a really interesting figure and an interesting character, even though he yeah. was a person. Oh, he was a real person. Like, it's amazing. Completely agree. Like, I completely agree. I, I would say that 
I don't know if you want to get into this debate, but I think Roosevelt has to be near the top of that list, not just because he was present during World War II, but because he was present during the, the Depression as well. Yeah. And the fact that he covered that much in the New Deal and all of that, like the New Deal, like reshaped our society in a lot of ways. I mean, um, I would say as an Amer- it's if you're just focusing just on Americans, I would I'd believe that. But I just think like World War II was the transformative event of yeah, the century. Like, and, totally. and I feel without Hitler, you don't have that. And no, 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 I don't think Roosevelt over Hitler. I think Roosevelt over Nixon, just oh, because I think he would have done more to transform American society. And because I think Nixon alone didn't transform American politics. Like he was certainly an, a, a, obviously a pivotal figure, but it was as it was everyone who reacted to him. And I would almost say that if you think about where we are now, like Reagan was more transformative in American politics than Nixon was. But I would make the case that you don't have Reagan without Nixon. Reagan is so is yeah. so subtly extreme in his time, but yeah. everything after that becomes so crazy that like yeah. I get that idea, but without the Nixon White House and then him resigning and then kind of the the rest of the 70s that leads to reagan i don't think any of that really happens without that crazy nixon white house and maybe just just his like his (laughs) ingrained corruption his deep-seated like bitterness i think that becomes the republican party for the last 50 years in ways that reagan really isn't like reagan is is a very polished version of that but in a very like venal dark way Nixon's persona, Nixon's soul is the Republican Party of today. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. transformed over time into this monstrous yeah. thing. It's but kind the of seeds ro- of it are all there. That raw drive for power over a desire to actually right. implement or change our society. Right. And I mean, yeah. again, this does cover up a list like omits a lot of like positive things Nixon did do. Nixon wasn't yeah. a completely terrible no. president. He just... His his morals were so corrupted that even I don't think he recognized what a bad politician he was, what a bad yeah. force he was for politics. So. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of forces for politics, uh, also died in 1994, Kim Il-sung, the creator mm. of North Korea. <laughs> speaking of guys who did not so great things when it comes to politics. So um, Kim Il-sung uh, ruled North Korea from 1948 until he died in 1994. Mm. Um, and North Korea was essentially formed in 1948. So he was key in establishing North Korea as a communist state and a centralized, centrally governed and organized society. He also um, invaded South Korea in 1950, um, which basically led to the Korean War. So yeah. not a great dude. No, and I think his death is probably less fun in a Korean sense than the only other North Korean story we've covered. Kim Jong-il's amazing round of golf that oh, we, yes. we went over back in the Biggest Liar episode. <laughs> Just tying it back to other parts of the season. I was curious what whose death you were going to describe his death as less fun then. <laughs> I would say his death was less fun in a very pop culture <laughs> sense than the round of golf. Yes, Kim that, Jong-il's yes. amazing round of golf. I would agree. I, I would agree. go back and listen to that episode because it is one oh. of my it's one of my favorite sports stories of all time. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. And I love that it like potentially was just because of a mistake. Like it, yeah. it could be a purpose, but it could just be they didn't understand what they were doing. Didn't know how to score um, golf. Yeah, did not. OK. And then the final person in the politics category that I want to cover who died in 1994 was Jerry Rubin, who died in November, late November of 1994. Not a president or leader or did not marry a president or leader of a of a state or or government. 
Um, but he was a, an activist, famously one of the Chicago Seven, so organized the protests in Chicago um, in 1968 at the Democratic mm-hmm. National Convention that kind of broke the city down and and uh, famous for the, the police involvement and uh, not so great stuff that happened and went on trial for it. He ran for the mayor of Berkeley after he dropped out of college in Berkeley, California, um, you know, basically opposing Vietnam, but also supporting a lot of, you know, progressive at the time policies, big into the legalization of marijuana, supported the Black Power Movement. He co-founded the Youth International Party, which was very active and ran a pig as an independent candidate for president. Pegasus. Pegasus, yes. Yeah. And and of course, the sign that he was doing the right thing, he was interviewed by the House Un-American Committee. Yeah, he was very tied up with Abby Hoffman and that whole yeah. that whole yeah, group. Yeah. Uh, he was, and I forget, I can't remember the name of the guy who played him in the movie. Remember the, the oh, Aaron yeah. Sorkin movie from I, last year? I want to say it's that guy from, what is that show? Oh God, what is that HBO show? Succession? I want to say it's the guy from Succession played him. Uh, Jeremy Strong, which is the guy from Succession played him. That's a pretty fun movie, The Trial yeah, of Chicago. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah, they filmed, they filmed a bunch of it right across the street from where we live. They did. Right here on Michigan Avenue. Yeah, there were like uh, protest signs and 60s looking encampments here for a little while. It was pretty yeah. fun. Yeah, so if you watch the movie, there's a whole part set in a park with this statue on a hill. And that statue is the General Logan statue, where yeah. often we will bring our uh, chairs and sit and read in the shadow of this statue. Yeah, you want to come find it in the summer, you will find us there. Yeah, yeah, um, we're right there. It's basically yeah. Michigan and 8th. More or less. <laughs> so that is our politics category. And I realize yep. this is actually taking a really long time. <laughs> it is. You're going to need to cut a lot of this. It's either that or we're going to have to split this into two episodes. But that'll screw up all of our symmetry for our it number will. of episodes that we're working on for season one. <laughs> so real quick, I, I have three writers really quick I wanted to talk about. But I don't have a lot about any of them except for the stuff they did. So in this way, this is actually pretty good. Uh, yep. January 30th, 1994, we lost the great French writer Pierre Boulle who probably is not a household name, but he did write the uh, books that two very famous movies were based on. He wrote The Bridge on the River Kwai, which Mm. was turned into a Best Picture winning film in the late 50s. Uh, It's a a war movie. It's gritty, realistic. And then he also wrote Planet of the Apes. So (laughs) he had a, a huge imagination, did Pierre. And uh, he's in basically cinema history. I've read Planet of the Apes. And I remember it being pretty good, but again, they're translated, so it's hard to say. I've never read uh, Bridge on the River quite. And then a week later, the uh, comic book community lost the great Jack Kirby, who didn't get the credit he deserved for a long time. In his lifetime, I think he probably eventually did, but he did die in 94, so it's hard to say. But uh, Stan Lee is always given all the credit for creating all of the great Marvel heroes, but Jack Kirby probably had more to do with it when it came to creating the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, Thor, the Hulk, and Iron Man. He, the entire run of the Marvel characters, basically. Plus, he was involved in... Timely Comics was basically the precursor to Marvel Comics. But he was also involved in creating Captain America way back in 1940. So Damn. he was doing a lot for a very long time. And... His name probably doesn't get enough recognition throughout time. He was also a, an artist where Stanley didn't really do a lot of that kind of stuff. He was more on the production end, the high end of stuff, where Jekyll was a little more nuts and bolts. But he's, you know, beloved and regarded throughout time. And Where'd he go, bud? 
And then also, uh, April 30th, Richard Scarry died, who wrote a, a million children's books. Uh, I believe they his total sales are 100 million books worldwide all time, oh my which God. is a ludicrous number. And he wrote uh, his best known for the best ever series that had dozens of books in it. We lost him way back then. He was 74. Oh, terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> very scary. Get it? it scary. Yeah, very good. Um, well, if you want to talk about things that are terrifying, I've got the criminals category. Yeah, There are some terrifying things. So I'm going to start with uh, two people who died of unnatural causes in 1994, though different causes. John Wayne Gacy and Jeffrey Dahmer both died in 1994. Just in case you confuse your serial killers, uh, of which both of them uh, partook, um, John Wayne Gacy is known as the killer clown. He was the one that assaulted and murdered at least 33 young boys near Chicago. Great. Right. Wonderful. Um, in like the, the 70s, they found most of the the bodies in the crawl space in his house, but they found others in rivers and, and things. But most of them, he just he just. Did, and then uh, pop, pop pop him in the crawl space, and uh, so not so good. He went to prison and he was executed because uh, what he did was uh, not great. I am not uh, pro execution, but if anyone's going to get it, uh, uh, he's probably the right one. Could be a worse person. Could be couldn't could have happened to a worse person. Yeah. And then of course Jeffrey Dahmer died in 1994. He was known as among other things the Milwaukee Monster. He killed 17 men and boys from like 78 to like 91. And he was a necrophiliac and cannibal. So uh, pretty gross. Yeah. Um, He was also diagnosed with several mental disorders. Oh, you think? Wondering uh, what happened there. He was not executed. He was beaten by a fellow inmate. So uh, murdered in prison. There were at least a couple times that I considered a John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer episode, but we don't do that sort of podcast. No. And there's pl- there's so many true crime podcasts. I was like, what are we really going to say? Like, I, you know, no. to just go over grisly details. Eh, that's I'm OK. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there is one criminal that I do want to spend just a little more time on. And uh, listeners, if you've wa- listened to this podcast for any period of time, you know that basically why we do this is for us to entertain ourselves. And so uh, this guy's got a lot of relevance to me and Joe. Yeah. You'll see why. Okay. So Russell Buffalino died in 1994. He was a mobster. He was the boss of the Buffalino family, but they were also the Northeast Pennsylvania Italian American mafia crime family. That's what they're known as. So if you know, if you've listened to this at all, you'll know that Joe uh, was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I was born in upstate New York. And so this guy just like ruled our area. Mm-hmm. His father came over from Sicily and settled in Pittston, Pennsylvania, where I once had a job. <laughs> um, and then they like went back and forth from Sicily to a while, but ultimately did settle in Pittston, Pennsylvania. And then as an adult, uh, Buffalino bloop, went his way up to Buffalo, New York, which was where I was born, um, and spent some time with the mobsters there. He worked with a mobster in Endicott, where there is now an excellent discount theater, if it's still open through the pandemic, uh, that Joe and I have been to. Um, And then ultimately, he moved to Kingston, Pennsylvania, also in the same area. So his family basically controlled Pittston, Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, and upstate New York. So like where Joe and I were from. Uh, So I'm wondering, Joe, do you think he was tied in with Big Gazebo? Do you think that's or <laughs> he was like, he was instrumental in the uh, the gazebo trade, the gazebo trade in, in Bainbridge uh, or involved in the uh, in, in the glue factory, which is the only business in Bainbridge. 
was the I mean, of this debate. I assume that the Elmer's people were kicking money back to to Russell, would be my guess. Yeah. Uh, I think he was involved in everything. And yeah. again, I mean, he died in my lifetime, but I didn't know who he was until later. It's just his name was such a famous thing. But again, he, he lived in Pittston, which, I mean, you know, Pittston is not a big city no. in any no. way. So like he was just sort of living his life in this bizarre little small town. Yeah. He was arrested in a Scranton nightclub mm. when he went to prison. It didn't say which nightclub. So in my mind, I'm choosing to believe it was flashbacks uh, <laughs> because that's that. That I don't seems right think to me. Flashbacks was there in 94, but he certainly could have been arrested at Tinks. Yeah. <laughs> so. I was, Tinks was the other one that I was thinking yeah. about. He one was arrested in, in like, he was in prison for a long time and then he got out of prison and then he died. So it was, it was in the seventies or eighties that he was arrested. Like it was, yeah. uh, but he's been 10 years in Leavenworth where my sister once lived just to continue to tie in the nuts. Nice. Um, and then he died in Kingston. He's buried in Sawyersville. So when we go home, we could go check that out. We could pop by uh, a couple things. One, I wanted to quickly bring up the, uh, the duck soup joke. Uh, let's give him 10 years in Leavenworth or 11 years in 12 worth. <laughs> <laughs> just a joke. I've always liked <laughs> Um, also, uh, <laughs> Russell Buffalino was played by Joe Pesci in the Irishman movie from two years ago, and he was yeah. nominated for an Oscar for that part. So, uh, not go. exactly an Oscar connection, but you know, close enough for playing that guy. So that's kind yeah. of fun. A lot of people have been nominated for Oscars for playing, say, Richard Nixon. I believe Natalie Portman was nominated for playing Jackie Kennedy. Joe Pesci was nominated for playing Russell Buffalino. There you go. Yeah. That was the criminal <laughs> section. That was. Wonder We're done. Wonderful job. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad we could uh, cover Northeast Pennsylvania mobsters because there are not a lot of famous ones. Nope. So the last major category we're going to get to are the musicians who died. And again, this is something we kind of have talked about doing other various episodes. We just have decided to combine everything into this one because there were sort of too many strands to do anything else. But uh, chronologically, the first major, major musician to die, uh, January 15th, the great Harry Nilsson died. Fairly young uh, was Nilsson, but he was, you know, a, a, a very acclaimed songwriter and very popular. His he, he did Everybody's Talking, which was, you know, the, the theme song essentially from Midnight Cowboy, which was a huge hit for him. Uh, he did Without You. He did Coconut. Uh, he had, you know, big successful albums. He was sometimes referred to as the American Beatle because he was very close with uh, with John Lennon. I think he was friends with Ringo. Um, and then his famous albums, which I just think are funny. He had a, a trilogy of albums, which I guess you could refer to as the Schmilson trilogy because his biggest album is Nilsson Schmilson, <laughs> uh, which is a huge hit, followed by Son of Schmilson and A Little Touch of Schmilson in the Night. 71, oh 72, God. 72. A Little <laughs> Touch of Schmilson in the Night sounds like what happened to, uh, to John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> Oh my, uh, but yeah, so he, he did a lot for, you know, he, he was around, he wasn't, you know, he didn't live to an old age, but he did a lot in this time. He did a lot of, uh, film work. He did a lot of songs for movies or, you know, compose some scores. Uh, he worked on a movie that I think we've mentioned before. And I don't remember why is the 1968 movie Skidoo where Groucho Marx plays a, a gangster named God. <laughs> I know I've said that exact line on this show before. Yes. And I don't remember why he did some music in Popeye. He wrote the theme song for the John Candy animated show Camp Candy, which we might have mentioned when we talked about John Candy. And uh, he has a, a phenomenal song I've recently gotten very into called Jump Into the Fire that uh, was featured in Goodfellas and has popped up uh, various places over the years. But the great Harry Nelson uh, only lived to be 52 years old. 
I, I really appreciate the effort you put into that. I have less to say about our next musician who died. Uh, the most April... famous person to die in 1994. <laughs> I don't know. Listeners, I don't know if you've heard of him. Died on April 5th. He was the lead singer of a pretty good band. Kurt Cobain died uh, April 5th, 1994. He was the lead singer of Nirvana, considered one of the best rock bands ever. <laughs> And that's about it. Like, what do you want me to say about Kurt Cobain? Like, yes, he died. He killed himself. It was awful. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, what, what do you want me to say about Nirvana? They were good. I don't know. They, were, they had good albums. They had, they did regular albums. They did that unplug, unplugged album. That was great. Um, they were good. They were The other bands did stuff like them. They were so good. So that was great. Let's see. That that kid who was on the cover of Nevermind has sued for child pornography. So he's real mad about it. So... <laughs> But I think this, cool. this very much illustrates the age difference between us, <laughs> because as, <laughs> as small as it is, the fact that Kurt Cobain's death to you is just like, I have nothing to say about Kurt Cobain, really just <laughs> says to me that you were just not old enough for, to, for this to no, mean no, anything. No. My point is not that he's not great. He's great. Like, I'm being sarcastic. Like, he is, he is, I have lots to say about Kurt Cobain. Well, I don't have anything to say about Kurt Cobain that hasn't <laughs> been said, because he's super famous. Like, yeah, yeah. what do you want me to say? He was really good. Yeah. I'm not I'm not disparaging him I'm, or being cheeky about it. I'm being sarcastic about the fact that, you know, obviously he's amazing. No, I mean, it's it might seem a little odd that this is how we bring up Kurt Cobain here in the second to last episode. Because again, his death was the biggest thing <laughs> that happened. Like deal. it was such I mean, I think we've mentioned it before, but for yeah. whatever reason. But the fact that there's never been we never really had an angle for Kurt Cobain. And, yeah. you know, again, I was like just at that age. So like. You know, Nirvana was a huge deal when you're 14. Like, I, I wasn't a huge Nirvana fan, but like, it was still like you watch a lot of MTV at that time, and everything they did was so big. And again, they, he was 27. Like, they're at their peak. Yeah. And you know, they're just massive band to then to complete just disappear at that point was this huge cultural moment. You know, and you know, it signals basically the end of that kind of grungy era. Even though yeah. you know a lot of those bands continued on that early 90s thing that was coming out of seattle and all of that yeah more or less dries up at that point like that yeah. there's not a lot of new stuff coming at that point this was basically this this his death really signals a, a dividing line in that area yeah I, I just think there's been so much said about kurt cobain and so like I would describe Kurt Cobain as the as the Jackie Kennedy of Grunt Rock because there's just nothing else you can say about him right there has been a lot already said I I agree I mean I don't you know the thing is that like now, so many years have gone by, and I was so young when that happened that I don't have a lot of, like, like contemporary memories of him being alive and how I felt about it. You know, like, you just don't think yeah. about these things. When people are, like, young and doing stuff, and you're just like, yeah, and their songs are cool, and you're like, this is great, you know? But I was a little more of a Pearl Jam fan. I wasn't as much a Nirvana person at the time. Yeah. Like, I, I can appreciate them, but it wasn't, it wasn't a huge world-altering thing for me. It just seemed, you know, it was just so so crazy and so out of the blue that yeah. this happened and then uh, and then there was so much swirling around with it in the following years like people didn't believe he killed himself it was all conspiracy theory type stuff and yeah you know he was such a figure like right and like yeah. he had that and him and courtney love had that bizarre relationship sort of publicly a bizarre relationship yeah. that i think that kind of it all got caught up in this so it became sort of a media thing in a lot of ways yeah. that you know, I think the deaths of of young musicians don't really have that. You know, like yeah. Amy Winehouse's death didn't have a different element to it. Every, you know, she was just sort of, you know, you knew she was she had addiction problems, and then she died. But there wasn't a, another layer to it like there was with Kurt Cobain. Yeah, and you know, I think that that does 
muddy it a little bit yeah. over the years. I think there's something when someone who like has the potential to alter the shape of music, right? dies and there's really a like well, what could have been and what could he have done in his career and yeah. and i think you and i've had the conversation that like nirvana might not have been as big a deal if he hadn't died you know mm-hmm. but I, who, no we'll never know and i think that while there's always like a there's always a tragedy with someone who dies young someone who is so influential in such a short period of time on a genre of music and then his like fans became were and became so like connected to him and to their music and and you only have a little bit of it like i think all of that probably swirled together to lead to you know what his death ended up becoming yeah i mean i think that's true i i think that you know you go back to you know the the run of young musicians who died in the late 60s and early 70s that group that you always kind of hear about mm-hmm. like you know hendrix only lived to be 27 and like what would we have had from hendrix yeah. and things like that like janis joplin and you know jim morrison had already had a peak and kind of come down when he died and again all very young so i do think that there's there's an interesting thing there i it's 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 dark to speculate and be like well if nirvana had lived what exactly would they have become would they be regarded the way they are like you know there was a a a rolling stone list a couple years ago that was like the 100 greatest rock albums or something and nevermind is like second or something it's some crazy high number and i was like maybe because for me it feels really recent it seems too recent to be that high which isn't fair it's a long time ago but you know pearl jam's 10 is probably a better album than nevermind isn't it like and maybe it's just because like i was more of a pearl jam person at the time but you know i've always kind of been like his death clearly influenced the way that they're viewed musically, yeah. which is a weird thing, right? Yeah. Now, someone who died and their death did not change the way that they were viewed, composer Henry Mancini. <laughs> nice Terrible. pivot. Terrible pivot. But uh... yeah, the, the great Henry Mancini, who had lived to be uh, a solid 70. Uh, he died in June of 1994. He's probably best remembered for the Pink Panther theme, but he did also write Moon River, he did a lot. He did the love theme from Romeo and Juliet. He had a lot of hit singles and also just, uh, you know, hit compositions. He was a, he was, you know, very talented. He won four Oscars, did Henry Mancini, and he won 20 Grammys. So it's not, like, it's not like people didn't recognize Henry Mancini's greatness. Let's not cry for Henry Mancini. <laughs> uh, you know, in a, in a more uh, a general pop culture sense, he, he wrote the, uh, soundtrack to a, a ton of movies some of which are okay like the, the great mouse detective santa claus the movie silver streak he did a bunch of stuff he also wrote the uh, tv theme song to what's happening which is awesome nice that was Henry Mancini. Mancini. <laughs> i don't know just strikes me as funny he did the theme song to new heart and remington steel good for him yeah uh speaking of people who wrote uh music i've got someone who died in 1994 on my birthday Hmm. My uh, my 11th birthday, uh, Jewel Stein, hmm. who was a composer, I guess you would call him. Um, he he wrote music, is there, a writer of music. Is there another word for that? It's getting Songwriter. Great. Songwriter. Thank you. Um, and he wrote several musicals. He's a musical hmm. writer. Um, he wrote uh, Gypsy, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Big time. Uh, he wrote Funny Girl. Yeah. Um, and as Joe told me, he also wrote Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. And then he died at age 89. I'm sorry, 88 in 1994. The on my best musical Christmas Carol. And you're just glossing over it. Oh, I said it. Mr. But Magoo's look at like, Gypsy's fine. 
Joan prefer blondes is fine. Uh, the song about Razzleberry dressing lives forever. <laughs> That's all I'm it's saying. A, it's a good song. It's a good song. A hand for each hand was planned for the world. Why don't my fingers reach? Yeah. Millions of grains of sand in the world. Oh my God. Why such a lonely beach? If for whatever reason you've reached this point in your life and you have listened to this podcast and not seen Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, you need to stop everything you're doing. But we get it. Let it go. Listen, <laughs> it's the best musical Christmas Carol. It's very there, good. There isn't even a close second, and I love The Muppet Christmas Carol. No, The Muppet Christmas Carol is better. I love The Muppet Christmas Carol. We can Paul Williams is a, a icon, a national yeah, treasure. Mr. Better. Magoo's Christmas Carol is the best musical Christmas Carol. <laughs> I'm just saying. I like Mickey's Christmas Carol. I think it's pretty good. It doesn't have any songs. It's the best musical Christmas Carol. I hum along to it. You hum along to Mickey's Christmas Carol? <laughs> no, I couldn't. I wanted to. I wanted to suggest another, and I couldn't come up with another musical. Oh, very, very good. <laughs> good effort. Uh, someone who never wrote a musical Christmas Carol, the great Cab Calloway, died November eighteenth, nineteen ninety-four. That we know of. Maybe he did. I, you know, I, I can't say that I'm completely familiar with all the ins and outs of his repertoire, but I don't believe that's in there. Cab Calloway is probably best remembered for Minnie the Moocher, uh, which he sang his entire life. <laughs> It's, you can what find recordings that? of him singing it at in every decade from the 40s onward. So, <laughs> what is Cab short for? Cabius? What is Cab short for? I, his, there's no way he was born and his parents were like, I know what we should call him. Cab Cabbage Calloway. Maybe he was born in a taxi cab. Maybe that's why. Huh. Cabell. C-A-B-E-L-L Calloway. Uh, he was. Go, uh, he was, yeah. Cab Calloway. The Minnie the Moocher was first recorded in 1931, so I actually had oh that God. wrong by a decade. <laughs> I would say to modern people, he's probably best remembered for being in the Blues Brothers. That that at least would what I would immediately go to. But you know, the Blues Brothers is also 40 years ago, so I don't know. Maybe not. Not proud to say I know him as a musician, but wouldn't be able to tell you anything about him. So let's wrap up with our last celebrity that we want to talk about. Did not fit uh, into any of these categories. No, could not fit him into any categories, but thought he was important to cover. But I, I do kind of like closing with him because I think of all of these folks, he had a unique and specific way that he impacted the world in a very lasting way. Um, and that is November 11th, 1994, Pedro Zamora died of, of AIDS. He was uh, on the real world, San Francisco, which was like the second or third season. It was pretty early. Um, I think New York was first. This might've been the second season. And he was the first person a lot of people saw on TV living with AIDS. During, you know, the, the show was out in 1994, you know, it was during, uh, I don't know if you would call it the height of the AIDS pandemic, just because I don't know that much about the trajectory of that, but certainly was still a disease that had a lot of stigma attached to it. And Pedro, not he, he was an AIDS educator before he went on the real world. Basically, one of the reasons he was on the real world is that he was an AIDS educator. They, you know, wrestled with him sharing a room with someone and how that person, I can't remember which cast member it was, but how that person felt about it and working through that. He had the first commitment ceremony, really, that was on TV. While he was in the house, he had a commitment ceremony with his partner at the time. The show finished filming in June of 1994. And by August, he was pretty sick and went into the hospital. He was basically in the hospital or some version of hospice until uh, November when he died. So he he really wasn't around much longer after that, but I left a very lasting impression on making an impact against the stigma surrounding AIDS at the time. Yeah, I, I would say he had a real high resonance with people yeah. from our era. Like I, I would be surprised if anybody 
more or less our age doesn't know who Pedro Zamora is. Like, yeah, he was that level. And again, he was on a reality TV show star, essentially on MTV. Like, and there weren't yeah. reality shows back then. So, how many other people, even from from the real world, can you name? Like, yeah. there are people like who were famous for other things, but he was like a really important person and like, yes, like a beloved person. Like, it's an odd thing for. I think just because now we think of reality shows as such tawdry nonsense entertainment yeah. that the early real world was so transformative sort of because yeah. this was a way to actually see other cultures sort of or like how other yeah. lifestyles were because it was a very real show in a lot of ways. It was packaged. It was a TV show, but it really did, I think, open a lot of eyes and, and show you like how other people live and, and expose you to stuff that you wouldn't normally have, especially yeah. living in small towns like we did or, yeah. you know, and, and growing up that way. So yeah. I, I, yeah. I didn't realize he died as close to when the show was on. You yeah. Know? Like I remember him dying, but I didn't realize it actually was that close. Time yeah. when we were seeing this on TV. It was very close. And I think that's part of the reason it resonated because he died almost immediately after like the show might have even still been on. I don't know how long the season actually ran for, but it had just finished filming and it had only started to air um, when he got really sick. And so, you know, not only were you experiencing the story and his story, um, but then you were also experiencing his death, like at basically the same time. I do think the I, we forget sometimes what the real world was when it started. And to your point, like very much with an intention of bringing in different people with from different with different perspectives from different backgrounds and showcasing that um, the only like, like person even close to this that I can think of was the, in on the New Orleans cast, which would have been several years later, there was the the only Mormon that had ever been mm. on, and and she like talked about what that was like, and ended up getting kicked out of BYU because she was on the Real World and this whole thing. Like I and I remember like being like, oh my god, like I had no idea. Like I learned a lot from her, but yeah. uh, certainly there were other you know people on the Real World during those early years who had that kind of experience and had brought that kind of insight to to people. But no one, no one like Pedro. Like, like that's what the show was when it started. Like it yeah. was almost like, even though they were young and it's packaged in a very MTV way, it was almost a PBS show. Like it was almost yeah. like an anthropological study. Like it was, totally. and, and I think that why, if you even watch the Real World 10 years after that, you would never understand what that show was. Like yeah. it just becomes kind of like, a sex show and just like yeah. who's hook up and like, I always thought the real world was fun. Like even yeah. once, even in our, when we were together, like we still yeah. kind of watch the real world here and there, but it was yeah. a completely different show than it was when it started, when totally. it really wasn't just a kind of, I mean, there weren't other re like reality shows on MTV. So I don't even know if they knew what they had on their hands, yeah. but, but it, it, it's a transformative show. I think in a lot of ways that, yeah, we, we couldn't have realized at the time. I think we were like too young and there wasn't anything else like it. Yeah. And it does. It probably doesn't really get the credit it deserves for, for kicking yeah. off the kind of reality show craze. And it probably doesn't get the blame it probably deserves for, for ruining television. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's the evolution of it, right? I think they, everything that I've read and listened to about the real world and the, the genesis of it, it really was, I, I think they did know what they were trying to do from, and they did see it as more of a, sociological stuff and like an opportunity to expose like i think they thought of it in this more noble way it was yeah. only once they realized what one kids did when you put them in a house together with booze and to like what people watched and would talk about and once yeah. like the internet was a thing and it was driven by like you know those kinds of moments and scandal and like that that it deteriorated into what it became but like 
I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen commercials for Florabama Shore, which is basically <laughs> like the like the real world led to Jersey Shore, which led to Florabama, which is awful. And, yeah. you know, um, but even like I think you can even connect it to like the 16 and pregnant series, which had yeah. the intention of like, yes, sharing these stories, but but creating awareness about teen pregnancy and and has been connected to a drop in teen pregnancy. Like, I do think those intentions are there, even if. It also Over time, has. it gets ruined. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's it. I think that we've covered literally everyone who died in 1994. I think that even selecting this much of it, I was, again, trying to pick and choose a little bit, but, but you know, trying to have some relevance to yeah. today or to whatever. So I, I think that uh, we've done a, a fairly decent job covering as far mm-hmm. not how the pod obviously the podcast is a mess but i mean covering (laughs) a a retrospective type group so both both broad and inclusive and very narrow and specific in the people that we chose we've done everything uh as well as we possibly could (laughs) so second to last episode i think oh man this is it number 51 so we are uh, well, tune in next week for our, our Gangbusters finale. I believe we've already mentioned what we're doing on the finale in a different episode, but if you've forgotten, I'm not going to, rem- we're not going to nope, remind we're you. We're not going to tell so you. Just tune in and see. It's going to be Get excited. I'm sure it's going to be dazzling podcasting. <laughs> if, if what we've done up until this point is any indication. Uh, if you like Twitch, you'll like our next podcast. Oh my God. We got to get our Twitch channel going. <laughs> God, I think if you went back to every episode, we probably mention our TikTok more, but we've also mentioned our Twitch channel uh, a bunch of times. Neither of which exist. No, no. Maybe in season two. Uh, it happened one year, 1902. <laughs> will be just oh, no. a wonderful addition to the podcast uh, universe. Should um, we do 1894 and just like keep going backwards? Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Who was president in 1894? Was that was that a was that Benjamin Harrison? Was that William McKinley? Yeah. Who was president? Was, I think it was whoever was before McKinley. Eighteen ninety four, Grover Cleveland. Could be. You know what? This isn't interesting. <laughs> but that's all we were talking <laughs> about. I have no idea. I don't know anything that happened in eighteen ninety four. Was that was the Spanish American War going on? <laughs> what the hell was going on? I, I don't know. Oh boy. Well, that I think that's the sign that we can't do it. <laughs> we just keep going back. Seventeen ninety four. <laughs> so welcome to the jamestown colony 1694 <laughs> I don't know. all right well i think that's it i don't even think we should do an outro we just got to get out of here we i was i didn't want this episode to go on for four hours and look at us oh i know i'm so tired <laughs> yeah it's so late it's like 10 45 it's way uh, past my bedtime uh what is your can you sing uh your favorite jewel stein song We'll have a cup of tea and something on the Christmas tree. And Razzleberry dress. I don't know any of the words of that song. I'm now just realizing. You were pretty close, though. Well, oh, the best song, of course, is It's Good to Be Back, 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 Back on Broadway. (laughs) Because I'm always awake for the beginning of Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, and I am rarely awake for the end. Yeah, that's fair. That's That's fair. Well, good job. Thank you. Bringing it to the people. Listeners, you're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Bye. This has been It Happened One Year. Please take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever they allow ratings. Please follow us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow us on all relevant social media. Thanks. Thank you.
made of liver while we're guessing. Or maybe rather.